South Sudan has been in war since 2013. Civilians have borne the highest casualties of the brutal armed conflict that began when state-affiliated militia and opposition forces clashed in South Sudan's capital city, Juba, in December 2013. The armed conflict has since continued despite of the many attempts to resolve it. Marta Nailam, a fellow from South Sudan at the Africa Leadership Center, traces the events that have led to failure of efforts to intervene in the conflict. On 15th December 2013, a fight erupted among government soldiers at a barricade outside Juba. Later that night, a group of armed men who were part of a militia, later on identified as Matyanganyor, went door-to-door -door killing people from the Nuer ethnic group. While the massacre continued the next day, no intervention by the government and non-government agencies was visible. Instead, all the parties worked on as the massacre continued, leading to the death of around 20,000 Nuer civilians. A month after the Nuer massacre, the conflict spread to the three major towns of Malakal, Bor, and Bentiu. According to a report by the United Nations Mission in South Sudan, opposition parties took control of the capitals of Jonglei, Upper Nile, and Unity states. Heavy fighting ensued as the towns of Bor, Malakal, and Bentiu changed hands several times between December and mid-January. This part of Bor is very, very quiet. There are hardly any people here, and occasionally we hear sporadic gunfire. There are dead bodies on the streets. Some of them look like they've been here for days. They've started decomposing. The government took back the town of Bor, the capital of Jongale State, on Tuesday. They say they are now in control. That was the voice of Al Jazeera's correspondence, Haru Mutasa, describing the state of things in Bor right after the conflict. In January 2014, international pressure on both government and opposition led to an agreement on the cessation of hostilities brokered by the regional body Intergovernmental Authority on Development, IGAD, in Addis Ababa. However, this proved to be an agreement on paper only with no immediate provision for monitoring on the ground. After nearly one and a half years of conflict, a peace agreement was finally signed by all the warring parties, including opposition members in South Sudan People's Liberation Movement, SPLM, as well as former detainees. The agreement on the resolution of conflict in South Sudan was brokered again by IGAD and its partners. The terms of the agreement included immediate cessation of hostilities by both sides and the formation of a transitional government of national unity to implement the terms of the agreement. The agreement was based on a power-sharing deal among the SPLM and SPLM in opposition and the former detainees, which was one of the reasons the agreement collapsed. The security arrangements agreed upon by the parties also had major flaws that contributed to the failure of the agreement to be implemented. All the parties were to return to Juba for the formation of the transitional government of national unity, which was to include all the warring parties according to the percentages allocated to them in the agreement. However, 
before the government could be established an incident that would soon launch the country into further misery occurred. This was the J1 incident where the presidential guards of President Salva Kiir allegedly tried to assassinate the leader of the opposition, Rek Mashar. Mashar fled the country, but his soldiers and other aggrieved citizens took up arms to fight against the government. This sparked a full-blown war that led to the formation of nearly 43 militia groups opposing the government. Could the failure to secure the agreements be understood from a leadership perspective? According to the renowned leadership scholar Keith Grint, leadership is only effective when it is manifested in the form of a process where mutuality exists between the leaders and followers. Ideally, effective leadership would involve the exchange of influence between leaders and their followers to ensure that the interests of the leaders match that of their followers or at least are closely interrelated. In the case of South Sudan's peace-building process, the leaders only focused on sharing power in the transitional government amongst themselves to the exclusion of the interests of the citizens. It was clear that even the emerging leaders in their communities only represented their own interests and did not take the interests of the needs of the South Sudanese into consideration. The leaders have exerted minimal influence on their South Sudanese citizens because their goals have been different from those being pursued by the South Sudanese. And this made most of the leaders unpopular among their communities. It was therefore not surprising that more militia groups came into being after the collapse of the peace agreement. Opportunities for transformation appeared after the establishment of the transitional government. But instead, the leaders in the government have used coercive power on the people of South Sudan for them to be accepted. This has resulted in resistance by some communities, which has caused confrontation with government forces and mass displacement of civilians. With this kind of leadership and abuse of power, it is unlikely that the people of South Sudan will experience peace anytime soon. It is therefore clear from the illustration that the major cause of conflict relapse in South Sudan was due to ineffective leadership by the politicians who focused on their own interests while ignoring the interests of the citizens. This has limited participation of the citizens in peace-building processes reducing them to the level of mere observers. Martha Nyadam, a fellow from South Sudan at the Africa Leadership Center.